What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi there, I'm Lauren McGoodwin, founder and CEO of Career Contessa, and you're listening to season four of The Females, a podcast that deep dives into the world of women, work, and what it takes to build a successful and fulfilling career on your terms. This season, we're exploring the theme of courage, from the traditional definition to the new and unexpected ways that courage shows up in our own lives. Today's interview is with Mara Liddy and Naomi Hirabayashi, the founders of Shine, which is a digital self-care platform that gives you access to a daily motivational text, community, articles, and more. Mara and Naomi started Shine with the promise to offer users the same support they found in each other as friends and to help you feel more seen, heard, and represented in the world of self-care. And just a few years later, with millions of users, they've definitely kept their promise. But we didn't bring them on the show just to talk only business. We want to know how the busy founders manage their own highs and lows and how they apply their self-care learnings to their lives, families, and work culture. And now this is The Female. Hi, Mara and Naomi. Welcome to The Females. Hi, Lauren. Thanks for having us. We were just talking before we started this episode that we all connected back when Shine, I think you guys were still working at Do Something and it was still, it was a side hustle. So we should start by definitely telling the story of how you guys started Shine and your background and, and how it actually became your full-time job. Yeah. And it was so cool to connect with you in that time. I think when you're just getting started out as a first-time founder, connecting with other like-minded people who just see you and, and kind of believe in you in the early days means a lot. We remember that call and how helpful it was. So this is Mara speaking. And on our end, we obviously have had a really kind of crazy journey since starting Shine. We launched the company three years ago and very much created Shine to solve a problem that we experienced. So Shine is building the largest global self-care club. And our approach is fundamentally rooted in building a community and a brand that helps people to feel seen around their mental and emotional health. And so when we, as you mentioned, met working together eight years ago, we very much found ourselves coming to one another to support each other around our own day-to-day stress and anxiety. So Naomi was a chief marketing officer. I was a director of product. We had jobs that we loved. We were very ambitious, had a lot of friends. You know, we lived in New York City. We're living these these lives that we were really grateful for, but also dealt with kind of the normal day-to-day stresses and anxieties, whether that was stress at work or because of our personal finances or relationships. And what we found was that through the power of our daily conversations, we were able to help each other to feel seen and heard and help each other to work on our mental and emotional health and see really powerful growth from that. 
So we would meet up for coffees before work, happy hours after work. I think to the point of us being really ambitious, a big part of what we we kind of found in each other is that because we were so ambitious and we were working so hard, we would often be pretty hard on ourselves. Yeah. And so obviously that's something that we now know is, is pretty common. And the antidote to that tended to be self-compassion. So helping each other to kind of unpack whatever was going on and really giving you the perspective of what a friend might see in that and helping you to see yourself in a better light. And so we found this kind of magic with these daily like self-compassion check-ins and really wondered why no one else was kind of solving this at a broader scale, right? And when we talked to our friends, they'd often say like, oh, I wish I had that. I wish I had a Naomi at my job who was with me as often as I'm thinking about how I'm feeling. And when we asked them where they went for for difficult issues or just dealing with stress or anxiety, um, the number one thing people said is that they Googled it. They would Google like, uh, how to have a tough conversation with a friend, or I think I might be in a toxic relationship. And so we knew that there was an opportunity to help people practice mental and emotional self-care on a daily basis and something that was preventative and solution oriented and, you know, not giving you terrible search results that are driven by, you know, ads and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, in terms of why we started Shine, it was very much how can we use our experience and, you know, working at to the point of do something, an organization that really leverages messaging and focuses on using messaging to create an impactful experience for millennials? How can we leverage that experience and our own experiences as, as two people who've really supported each other at a really transitional time in our life and help people to practice daily self-care? Yeah. What I also think is interesting is it used to be called self-help and now we're talking about self-care. It's like been rebranded in a way that also is, I think, more appropriate. Can you tell us how self care is accomplished via this digital platform? Yeah. So Shine makes it easy for you to treat yourself better. Every day we'll check in with you and help you to practice self-compassion and be a little bit kinder to yourself. You can do that via our meditations. You can do that via our articles or the daily conversation that you can get in the mobile app. And what about the community part of it? Because they can read the article that comes to them in the text, right? Yeah, they can They can read the article that comes to them in the text. From a community standpoint, we have something called the Shine Squad, where if you're one of our more engaged users, you get connected with other people like you all around the world, talking about different things that you're experiencing, getting advice from other Shine Squad members. Everything from relationship to jobs to, you know, dealing with a stressful event. And so it's been really cool for us to see people coming together. And there's like the experience that they get from Shine directly, but how Shine as a product is also connecting them with other people like them and how much they get from that experience has been really cool. Yeah, well, I think that's really important too. And especially in today's world, because I would say like one thing I hear over and over again is like, it's really hard to make friends as an adult. It's really hard to connect with people. So this is a great tool to have that as like, one, just a commonality to begin with, and then from there, build relationships. Yeah, definitely. It's a really, really cool time. Well, I think it's pretty courageous that you two started a company that focuses on mental health, but I imagine that between being female founders, women of color, and building a company around a topic that's been hush-hush forever meant really starting a business that was met with probably a lot of challenges. So what are some of the highs and lows that you guys have experienced while running and building Shine? It's such a good question. And I love that you asked that as someone that, you know, as a fellow founder, obviously, you know, what so many people see is the cool, exciting stuff. And often what people don't see is, you know, the behind the scenes of everything that goes into to starting your own company, which is such a privilege and also, you know, one of the hardest, most challenging and exciting things you've ever done. So in terms of you know, the process. So there's a couple of things, obviously, like 
personally, you know, navigating highs and lows as well as just the fundraising process. So for context, we're VC backed, which is an incredible opportunity for Shine. And from a numbers perspective, it's just not in your favor as a woman <laughs> yeah. or a woman of color. Um, particularly, you know, we are so underrepresented in the the VC space, and that's something that we're really passionate about changing. And and hopefully, you know, uh, young women out there can see themselves more and more as we get more female founders um, that are actually getting backed by venture capital companies. What was hard from a professional standpoint in the beginning is. It's interesting to your to your question earlier around like it's self-care now is so big, um, but self-help, the terminology kind of reigned for years and years and years. And we have noticed just in the last three years, a huge change in how people are responding to this industry from an investment standpoint. And I think it's very, very equal to what people are kind of experiencing in their day-to-day life. So obviously, you know, taking care of ourselves and fulfillment, this has been around since Aristotle, like we as humans right. are always trying to figure out how do we how do we take better care of ourselves. But when we first started out three years ago, the industry was um, early, and we were two women, and we were talking about a company that was rooted in emotion and feelings, and how can you take care of yourself? And unfortunately, the response and some of the bias to that is that this was soft, right? So we got a lot of questions like, oh, or is it a not-for-profit? <laughs> we're like, oh, it's a, it's a business. It's a for-profit, which is why we're here. Um, yeah. And I think that that was just so loaded. You know, I think the idea of having a mission-driven company that you know can have an impact on millions and millions of people all across the world, most people saw that as charity versus understanding the, the big business opportunity. And we're so proud of the fact that fast forward three years later, as a society, there's still a lot of work to be done, but we're waking up to the fact that as much as we talk about taking care of ourselves physically, we have to talk about taking care of ourselves emotionally and mentally. Yeah. And the industry itself is a huge industry. It can make a change. It can impact people's life. And we can build a big business that's rooted in values that we really are proud of, as well as create a, a massive business. And so that's been probably the biggest change that we've felt over the course of the last three years. And it's really been interesting to see the change in people's excitement around the industry that you know, wasn't entirely there for a lot of investors early on. From a personal or professional standpoint, how do we navigate the highs and lows? I mean, there's so many things and it's a constant journey. I think a couple of themes that have really helped us along the way is pressure as a privilege. The reminder that the opportunity to um, really represent our community of 4 million people in 189 countries is something that I know for Mar and myself, we wake up to every single morning and think like, how can we make a difference for them? How can we continue to see them? How can we continually support them in their in their journey? And so recommending that or realizing and remembering that that pressure is, is part of this opportunity that we've we've wanted for a long time. And I think the other thing is compassion and self-compassion is such a huge part of Shine. And it's one of the biggest themes that resonates with our community. We're helping people take the same compassion that they extend outwards and bring it back to themselves. And I think we have to do that as founders as well. Obviously, your job and part of why you're in a position to to really, you know, be ambitious and work really hard is because you're you're critical of yourself and you're always looking for ways to improve. And that's such a beautiful um, side of growth. And at the same time, um, I think Mar and I try to check ourselves in a really positive way and check each other and say, hey, that was really good. Or this is a really big win. Um, because if you don't do that, I think particularly as founders, you won't practice what you preach and take the moment to reflect on all of the hard work and what it's amounted to. Right, right. Well, and speaking of your hard work, I'm curious how you guys manage the overwhelming trend in self-care now. I mean, as you said, when you started, 
I mean, certainly people, it was still called self-help. Um, it was definitely thought of as soft and now there's way more popularity around self-care and almost to the point where I would argue like some of it doesn't always feel genuine. It feels very much like they're trying to make the buck off of you and kind of like use the emotional mental piece. You know, I I know I'm making this sound really negative, but you guys know what I'm talking about. So there's this, there's overwhelming trend of self-care and how do you manage that knowing that like you are putting out amazing tools that really work, just the trendiness of this happening right now. Yeah, it's a good point that it is definitely having a moment. And to Naomi's point, when we first started, even Shine just a few years ago, people would ask us, like, is this self-help? Is this, you know, intentionality? What industry is this? And we were like, we don't know. And so we spent a lot of time knowing that we felt the shift happening, very much felt it in our own relationship, but just in our own community and seeing people search for more preventative, habitual tools around taking care of themselves. But we took a full step back when we first started the company and really looked at the trend over the past 20, 30 years from self-help, as you mentioned, to self-care. And so when we think about self-help, you know, it, it kind of by nature feels kind of stigmatized. Like It's not like a cool thing in that, you know, we think self-help of 80s and 70s and 80s, you had your, your gurus, whether that was, you know, Oprah to Tony Robbins, you had a bit of a focus on mental health, but it typically was uh, media, right? You had right. books, but you didn't really want to be caught dead reading the books. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then you had more of a focus <laughs> on physical health. So, you know, whether that was Atkins or Jenny Craig, yeah. and, you know, of course, this is all pre-anti-Photoshop movements or, or really even much of the internet. And so you were still comparing yourself to the glossy magazines and the A-list celebrities in those magazines. And self-help was, was about how can I be better as soon as possible? How can I look like that so I can feel like that? Yeah. Right. And then, and then when we think about what happened over the next 20 or 30 years, you have obviously technology, social media, globalization, all of a sudden we had more access to more data points on how everyone else was doing and feeling and, you know, thriving than we ever had before. So we weren't just hearing about our neighbors and our classmates and our coworkers. We were hearing about hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people and kind of how they're, they were doing. And I think we all know, particularly with the, the launch of social media, we, we all kind of misused those platforms for a while. Yeah. We pretended to be crushing it. We pretended that, you know, everything was perfect and filtered everything. And I think what we're feeling now is very much a collective conscious backlash to that. And that, you know, over the past five, 10 years, seen this rise of YouTube influencers who are so much more relatable and, you know, maybe have acne and are are eating pizza in your living room, but happen to have some really great talent. They're talking about anxiety and depression and they're being authentic. And um, obviously we've had the whole anti-Photoshop movement that now just feels kind of standard. And we're in this place where we are realizing, I think particularly also knowing spirituality um, is on the rise at the same time that religion is on the decline, that we're looking for more intimacy. Mm-hmm. We're looking for more connection, both with ourselves, but also with people we know and people who are very, very highly recommended to us. And so when we think about the shift from self-help to self-care where we are today, self-care is what it sounds like, right? Where self-help is, I need help. There's something wrong with me. How can I be better yeah. immediately? Self-care is about this preventative, habitual solution for taking care of your mental and emotional health. Now, to your point, all that said, you know, as a generation, millennials had very much led this shift from self-help to self-care. We became the largest share of the workforce a few years ago. We are in a state now in an era where everything is self-care, right? Anything that's not productive is self-care. And I think there's a double-edged sword there. 
in that it's a really beautiful thing that we are, are talking about how we feel at a rate that we have never so openly talked about before. But to your point, I think companies, brands, sometimes individuals kind of leveraging that for, for gain without really understanding the nuance of it can be really problematic. So what we always recommend is, is for people to take a step back and recognize what's right for them. There's just, you know, certainly a, a version of like face masks and bubble baths that might work for all of us. But when it comes to emotional health and emotional self-care, um, that is going to look really different based on your age, your ethnicity, what's happened to you in your past goals, right? It's, it's nuanced, it's intersectional. And I think that's very much why Shine has stood out. Shine is all about building a community and products and services that help people to feel seen based on their unique experience and help get them the support they need. Um, that support is meant to be light and habitual and help them check in with themselves on a daily basis. Um, but one of the number one things we hear from our community is finally, like finally I feel yeah. seen. And a part of that is is representation and our values around inclusivity. But a part of it is also just making the, the tough stuff normal. If you've been the only woman in a room or the only black woman in a room or queer person in a room. Um, we had a, you know, an article recently about representation burnout and what that experience might be like. That's not something that necessarily other like media outlets or mobile apps are, are covering, right? We're, we're dealing with issues that are specific to people's experiences. Just lastly on this, I think we have to remember that to be inclusive is to be specific. Yeah. And so the more we generalize and kind of speak to how, you know, what self-care is for, for everyone and all of us, that's where, you know, we run into issues. And so I think that's the community that we're building and connecting people based on affinity and giving them content and products that work for them based on what they've gone through is a big part of, of why we've stood out in this space. Yeah. I really like what you said about to be inclusive means to be specific. And also I would say that people almost have that expectation now because we are able to have personalization from like, you know, what we order on Amazon to what we watch on Netflix or whatever it is. And so, you know, that's a really good point that to be inclusive means being specific. All right, let's take a quick break to tell you about Majuri. Majuri is the jewelry company that has finally figured out the secret that no one else in the jewelry business has been able to uncover. It's that we don't need a special occasion or a gift from someone else when we want a new piece of high quality jewelry. I used to read these books about a magic locket when I was younger. I'm sure some of you can recall those as well. When I saw Majuri's gold locket necklace, I knew I needed it. It was a gift to myself to remind me of a special memory from when I was young. Majuri makes fine handcrafted jewelry for your everyday because you should be able to buy yourself fine jewelry whenever you want without a special occasion. Majuri has a collection of stackable rings like the gold beaded ring and the boyfriend stacker that allow you to mix and match a few different styles without wearing too much jewelry. It's a perfect example of a fun look that says, look what I bought just for me instead of look what someone bought for me. Head over to Majuri.com to check out their collection of timeless, understated, and fun statement pieces. Or follow Majuri on Instagram and sign up for their weekly jewelry job. Another cool thing about Majuri, rather than charging 8 to 10 times the production costs like traditional luxury brands do, Majuri instead nurtures direct relationships with manufacturers to bring high-quality craftsmanship directly to you without those ridiculous markups. Or you can treat yourself right now. Because just for our listeners, when you go to Majuri.com slash females, you'll get free shipping on orders over $100. That's Majuri, M-E-J-U-R-I dot com slash females, F-E-M. 
A-I-L-S, majuri.com slash females. Treat yourself to something uniquely you today. All right, now let's get back to the show. And I'm kind of curious. I mean, you guys are leaders. You run your own company and you've got a team. How do you build a culture that embraces self-care, but also embraces, you know, maybe the high expectations or urgency that comes with running a startup? And also I would say like that inclusivity part. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. It's something that we spend a lot of time thinking about because we are balancing a lot of pressure and being an early stage startup and again, really wanting to show up every day for our community and being a self-care company. So I think the ways that we think about it are creating really purposeful rituals with our team. You know, if you don't get intentional about this stuff, two months, three months can easily fly by and you're like, oh wait, we haven't done anything in a while. Um, so the way that it comes to life is a couple things. So the single most important meetings that we have every single week is weekly reflection. And that is a time for us to come together as a team every single Friday and do a version of our shine to ourselves, which is us saying one thing that we're really proud of from the week. And that can be a chance for you to speak um, and really kind of honor, honor something really big or cool or interesting that you did or someone else on the team. So a way to give positive shout outs. We also have as part of that, the the other thing that we talked through is a learning from the week. So what's something that you learned, maybe something that you failed at, something that was kind of tough. And I think that's really important for self-care because it's not about avoiding the, the tough spots. It's about honoring the resilience that comes from pushing through maybe a project that didn't go how you expected or tough feedback that you got. And so that's a really kind of natural and purposeful way for us to talk about that as a team. And you consistently see the, the team kind of nodding their head when someone's like, hey, this is what I learned and this is what I'm going to try to work on. Everyone's like, yes. Um, so, <laughs> so weekly reflection has become a really big part of our collective self-care as a team. We also have a, a really big value of ours is go big and go home. And that probably encapsulates this this tricky balance that everyone is trying to to kind of work through, which is like, how do I be really ambitious, go after what I want, like really, you know, spend my time on things that matter and also take care of myself and get the time to recharge. And remember that, you know, these kind of toxic narratives of like go big or go home or you can sleep when you're dead aren't sustainable and they're problematic and they don't work for the long term. So this idea of go big and go home What that looks like in our office is people show up on time. They show up ready to jump in. We are like fiercely protective of how we use our time and making sure that any any meeting or any email or any, you know, conversation is really focused on having the biggest impact possible. And then we try to go home at a reasonable hour and get time with our people or get time outside or whatever it may be, and then come back and do it again. But, you know, really for ambition and self-care to coexist is something that as a company and as a brand, we're trying to help our community with, it has to start at home as founders, which I'm sure, you know, you know, too, Lauren, like, the example that you set and how we try to take care of ourselves. We have self-care Saturday every every weekend. Mar and I just stay offline and we, we try to just kind of get time to do whatever fills us up. And we talk about that a lot in front of the team. And we're very mindful of how we're treating ourselves is going to set the example for, for leadership and self-care. Um, and I think we need more examples and I think we need better examples than we've had. I definitely think there's a trend of there are better examples happening, just just like people respecting out of office messages, right? Like that's something that never existed before. And like I'm seeing like, you know, they're not big, but we all know it's like the little steps add up and, you know, self-care Saturday where you don't answer emails. I've had people tell me that, you know, there are people who at six o'clock, they automatically have an away message on their email that just says, if you've emailed me after 6 p.m., I don't answer them until the next day. Like little small stuff. But I, I do think all these things are going to add up. And it's kind of like, as you said, like, 
we swung the complete opposite direction where it was all about, you know, work hard, play hard, go big or go home. And now we're going to hopefully, I don't want to say like over-exaggerate in the other direction, but hopefully we're going to find something happy, like a happy middle ground and not literally the middle, but you know, Absolutely. something where it's, it's boundaries. It and I think a lot better. Set boundaries, you think I can keep doing this. I'm controlling when I can. I'm reminding myself of my own agency. And I think if you don't have that, that's where people kind of hit a wall and they go really hard for couple of years, couple of months, whatever it may be, but it doesn't, it can't last. And so, um, yeah, we agree. It's, it's been neat to see the, the rising conversation, particularly between entrepreneurship and mental health of how people are figuring out what works for them and, and really taking that control back. Yeah. Are you guys really big on, you know, saying no and setting boundaries? You said you're fiercely protective of your time, which I, com- I mean, I completely agree with that. I mean, is that something where, you know, setting boundaries is also kind of like a new thing we all started talking about, but I mean, it sounds like, I mean, you guys study this and are in on this all the time. Is that something where you are really thoughtful about, you know, how to say no and, and, and set those boundaries? Yeah, this is Naomi speaking. Yeah, I think I think we are and we are getting better still. And we're a lot better than we were three years ago. Something that has helped us is uh, we read Essentialism, which was such a good book if you know, if you haven't read it. And it was around how the biggest challenge facing society right now is self-discipline, because obviously the um, level of distraction, the possibilities of distraction are, you know, at a rate as at which we've never experienced before. And so if you don't figure out what's essential, what's essential to get out of this week, what's essential to get out of this conversation, what's essential to get out of this hour, nobody else is going to figure that out for you. And we have been rewarding busyness over impact for a long time. And so we're really big yeah. for ourselves and for our team uh, and for our community talking about um, really viewing your time for what it is, which is the most precious commodity. And so you have to define what's essential to you and, and yeah, fiercely protect it. And so for us, that is something that we are always working on, but things like, you know, I, I remember early on in my career, I would say yes to anything, any coffee, any meeting, I would be like, sure, I'm available. I'm available. And I have love for that former yeah. self of mine. <laughs> I met some great people and I was too available and to a point where like, I think I lost out on getting some recharge or figuring out how I could use my time more efficiently. And, and these are just some of the lessons that, you know, through failure, you, you get better at over time. And socially, it's also this really interesting conversation that's happening around time management and, and saying no, which is, which is hard, particularly for women, but important. Yeah, absolutely. What's the last courageous act you made and what was the result or impact of it? We're like, this is such a good one. (laughs) This is Naomi speaking. I had a baby. (laughs) <laughs> Nine months ago, you know, I did that. My body did that. It's a very that. courageous um, act. <laughs> I think, I think why I was courageous, shout out to, you know, to all, to all the parents out there. But I think I've talked about this a little bit before. Why I felt courageous is I think a big problem and something that we're trying to figure out is like, is optionality for women, particularly, you know, being a founder and becoming a mother. I was really scared about that balance. And I spent probably the first trimester just freaking out about how I thought I wasn't going to be able to do it. And that's where I spent like all of my headspace, which is not healthy. <laughs> um, I was just like, there's no way this is gonna be so hard. What am I going to do? What about time? And I just was spinning. And then through a lot of conversations with Mara and my partner and just some time to like get over myself a little bit, I um, found this kind of piece where I was like, I'll just make it work. And I'll just assume that I'm doing a good job. And if I can start from this place of assumption around, Hey, you're doing a really good job at work doing a really good job at home. The things that I slip up on, the mistakes that I make are an exception, but they're not, they're not the foundation. And I've like, you know, some days are better than others, but I've really tried to stay with that. And so the courageous act is more around like how I'm talking to myself about being 
a founder and a parent and a first time mother and being kind to myself when sometimes things feel off balance, but knowing that the, the overall sum is is really good and the things that we're building, the community that we're building will hopefully have, you know, a long term impact on the world and the society in which um, my daughter grows up in. Right. Absolutely. Damn. That was beautiful. Now you have and, to top it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just going to top having a baby. No, Naomi's, Naomi's such a fantastic mother. And it's just really cool to watch her become a mother and, and be such an amazing co-founder. So it's I love getting to, you know, just experience that as your other, as your other partner. <laughs> yeah, for me, I, I was thinking about this. I love this question because I think we, we don't give ourselves enough credit for the things that require courage that maybe aren't on our resume or aren't these major life-changing things. The first thing I thought about was couples therapy. Mm-hmm. And a big part of why I thought about that as courageous is that I've been with my partner for eight years. He's a great human being. Mm-hmm. But my experience with hearing about couples therapy was always usually um, for people that were really struggling or kind of nearing the end. And I think that was my own my own bias, my own kind of, you know, access to the, you know, my own community. But I'm a huge proponent of therapy and I've loved it as an individual. Um, but doing couples therapy was something that was just a new and different opportunity for us. And it's been it's been super helpful, not surprisingly, and something that feels more like an ongoing, almost like, you know, the word self-care as I was describing it earlier, like this habitual preventative practice versus something yeah. that's like an alarm bell. So that that felt courageous. Yeah, absolutely. And I I thank you for sharing that because I think a lot of people, as you said, like the stigma around couples counseling is like, well, they're nearing the end. This is a last ditch effort versus like, no, this is like the tune up, you know, we're just like consistently doing this to make sure like things stay in a good place. So both of you very courageous for for sharing those. All right, let's move into rapid fire. Your recent self-care practice is hair mask, showers. This <laughs> <laughs> just in. Try showering. Yeah. Great. Oh man. New, new over here. <laughs> um, a ritual or practice you're committed to? Checking in with myself every Sunday. We take family walks on on the weekend and just yeah, get some conversations and cardio and ice yeah. cream. Yeah. We do the same, my husband and I, and yeah, it's the same thing. It's like, we'll do it, but we're going to get an iced coffee or we're going to get ice cream. You're going to also treat yourself at the same time. It's my kind of workout. It's yeah. Like sort of walking and also iced coffee and maybe a bagel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What are you guys doing after this interview? We are meeting with one of our investors. Awesome. And looking back, you would tell yourself. I just say like, worry less about the future. You're going to figure it out. Yeah. I feel like when I ask this question, a lot of people, that's their general advice. It's like, chill out. Don't worry. It's all going to be okay. (laughs) So, you know, hindsight 2020. Well, Mara and Naomi, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can people find you um, and find Shine and all the the links that they're going to need? Just head to shinetext.com or you can download Shine in the App Store or Google Play. Awesome. And we'll put all that in the show notes as well. Well, thank you so much again for talking about all things rituals, highs and lows of life and self-care. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having us, Lauren. This was, this was awesome. Thanks, Lauren. Let's take a quick break so I can tell you about Acuity, the scheduling assistant that works 24-7 behind the scenes to fill your calendar and take hours of work off your plate. Scheduling and rescheduling meetings can take a huge chunk of time out of your work week. Sometimes I feel like I'm in an endless thread of emails where we can't find a time that works for both of us. And it's such a waste of time. And really, there's nothing I hate more than wasting time. That's why I love to listen to podcasts or take calls during my commute because I want to make the most of my time. 
It's also why I love Acuity. Acuity is like having a 24-7 assistant who can set appointments, gather client information, and update my calendars all in an instant. With a tool like Acuity helping, you can save time, book more clients, and get paid faster because you'll be automating some of the most annoying business day-to-day activities with just a few clicks. Another thing I love about Acuity is that it automatically syncs all of your calendars. I receive a notification every time a new appointment is booked. That way I can rest assured that it won't interfere with my personal or business calendars. And also it gives me that sense of security knowing like it's booked, it's on the calendar, neither of us is going to miss it. Save yourself from the day-to-day drudgery of having to keep up with your clients and your busy schedule by using Acuity Scheduling. For a limited time only, you can get 45 days of Acuity Scheduling absolutely free. No credit card required. Just go to acuityscheduling.com slash females. That's acuity, A-C-U-I-T-Y, scheduling.com slash females. All right, now let's get back to the show. All right, guys, welcome back to our favorite part of the show. It's called Tough Questions. And Kayleen, our head of content, is here as well. And as you can probably tell from the title, we are going to be bringing each other one tough question to answer, honestly. And we're also going to fill you in on some behind the scenes stuff. So, Kayleen, let's start with your behind the scenes news. (laughs) You always start with a giggle. (laughs) I'm so funny with that. Because it's just funny to be like, well, guys, like, (laughs) Like, you must be so interested. Let me tell you. (laughs) Two weeks ago, this seemed crazy to me, but now it's totally like we're just in the season and it's prepping for holidays. I know. It's um, January. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) basically. But it's kind of funny. I feel like this is the first year where it was like, no apologies November 1st it was it's Christmas like everything's up yeah people are ruthless they're done with Halloween they've moved on to Christmas yeah like it is like from 11 59 to 12 a.m getting everything ready from now till like January 10th I know well we always take the week between Christmas and New Year's off so Mm -hmm. I feel like for us too it is sort of like January basically has to be planned and done in order for it's like when you go on vacation and you basically have to plan like the two weeks when you come back from vacation. So then it ends up being a mad rush in order just to relax. Yep. 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 So that's what yep. we're doing. Mad <laughs> rush until Christmas Eve. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I actually I do like that Thanksgiving is late this year. Yeah, it is kind of nice. I feel like it's going to be like such an onslaught of like it'll just be like Thanksgiving. Yeah. Holidays, New Year's and then just like 2020, which is wild. I know. I saw this meme on, not a meme. It's just a quote <laughs> on Instagram the other day. And it was like, in 2020, it's like 4th of July is on a Friday. And I'm, I'm sure I got this all wrong, but it's like all the big holidays are on Fridays or Cinco de Mayo is on a Taco Tuesday. <laughs> it was talking about 2020 is really going to bring it. It is hard when you have a holiday like in the middle of the week. I feel like for yeah. a few years, like 4th of July was on like a Tuesday, Wednesday, which is always confusing. So And we have a whole extra day. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I wonder, what do leap year babies do? Do they just get to pick the day? I think so. Before or after? Well, you're having your baby before that, but it would be. No, after. after. Oh, after. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Not before. Okay. So behind the scenes for me. So I just got back from New York. I was speaking at the Riveter Summit. It was excellent. It was always so freezing in New York Mm. (laughs) that they're actually getting to have seasons there. But one of the things I wanted to share is, so Stacey Abrams was one of the keynotes there. And she was fantastic. And her keynote even got me emotional. All of a sudden, I'm a person who like cries at everything. <laughs> but um, crying at conferences, cry, crying at conferences. So, in her speech, and I wrote it down, she had three really, really good tips. And the first one was don't edit your ambitions. So, her, her advice was like, don't 
tell yourself no. If someone's going to say no to you, let that be the one to tell you no. So don't edit your ambitions, which I thought was fantastic. And also remember, this was like on the one year anniversary of her not mm-hmm. becoming governor. So in the beginning, she was like, I'm really fueled with some emotions right now. Because, <laughs> you know, like this is a reminder of, you know, what I could be doing. So I thought it was great. And then number two was, of her tips for, you know, women in general in life was don't go it alone. So no one is self-made. I agree with that. Like, I know it's kind of a a popular saying to be like, I'm Mm self-made. But when you think about it, nobody is self-made. Yeah, Everybody has support. And so I love that. So she was saying, don't go it alone. I love this. She said, don't just enter the door, take the door off the hinges and flood the room with other people. I know. That's good. I literally wrote it down word for word. I was sitting next to my friend Hitha and she was like, are you writing all the sounds? Like I'm writing as quickly as my thumbs will move. (laughs) And then number three was don't forget the pain. She said to process the pain, that pain is okay. Admit the pain or you'll forget it. And I thought that was another good tip because I think oftentimes, you know, the advice is if you're going to fail, fail fast, you know, move Mm -hmm. on quickly. And she was essentially saying like, no, like if you are in pain or something didn't go your way, like sit in it for a while. And I actually love that. I mean, my mom always calls it having like a woes me moment slash mm-hmm. week slash day and when, like sometimes it'll just be like oh you're having a woe is me like and it's like yeah sometimes you just need to be off and like fully be deep in that yeah yeah and I think there's too much of this like bounce back mentality you know like people are always like no just bounce back or just like keep moving as you say like it's like we're sharks and if we stop moving we'll die it's like but we're actually not sharks we're, <laughs> we're actually allowed to stop far from it so anyway I had a fantastic time at the River Summit obviously fangirled over Stacey Abrams <laughs> those were her three tips that I thought were fantastic so if you guys are interested in any of the conferences that we go to I'll be sure to like start sharing more of the behind the scenes with those but okay so let's move into tough questions I'll start with you <laughs> Kayleen have you ever had a job that burnt you out and if so how did you recover from the burnout. And this is not an advice section. So yeah. I would have a disclaimer of like, do not do what I did. But but maybe do what I did because I had a job that burnt me out so quickly. It took six weeks from beginning to wow. the day that I finished the day, but then walked off and said, I'm not coming back here, which was just a situation where the head of the company felt like if you were on the payroll, you were on the payroll to do whatever yeah. um, at their whim. And it was 24-7. It was on the weekends. It was just and I never got to do what what I was actually hired for which was also a wild thing because you know you come in you're ready you're like guns blazing especially with a new job like yeah to burn out in that short amount of time when that should be like the excitement phase was like to me I was like oh this is really really bad yeah so what I did was I mean I quit on the spot without anything lined up but it was like a mental and emotional like took you six weeks to recover (laughs) Oh, my God. What amazes me is that in today's world where it's like easy to share, it's so much easier to let people know about having a bad experience at a job or at a company today than it ever has been before. So when people are that horrific to their employees, I'm like, are you unaware of the fact that not only will nobody want to work there anymore, like everyone will quit, but also you won't be able to hire people in the future? Yeah. Well, I mean, it was almost so bad that or it was so bad that I don't share it. Yeah. Um, if anyone's so inclined <laughs> to do research on, on, on my LinkedIn, uh, you will not find it. There is no evidence that I worked there. It does everyone a disservice to yeah. even really talk about it. But I would say if you have that like feeling every day where you're like, this is, there are so many red flags going up. I'm not respected or appreciated or anything. Like, yeah, sometimes you have to, you have to call it and say like, I'm waking up dreading it. I'm going to sleep dreading it. I'm not even 
doing what I was hired to do and I'm being like completely stomped on. Yeah. Ooh. Well, <laughs> a friend of mine, that's what we do in like in a text. If we're if it's like an intense situation, we just write wolf <laughs> like, oh, gosh, oh, gosh. Um, I actually had a friend who had a similar experience. She was working for a company and she was waking up at like 5 a.m. having panic attacks. And I was like, you need to quit. And she was like, but I've only been there a month. I'm like, it's better to leave after a month of being mm-hmm. somewhere that's not the right fit than stay. Make yourself miserable. They become more dependable on you as well. Like. The whole situation, it's like, break up now, you know, like, do it. Also, if a company's showing their true colors, like, week two, then it's not. Everyone's at least usually on their best behavior for the first couple weeks to, like, get you in past those, you know, 30 days or something. But if they're already showing it, it's, I I think you have to jump. And you know. Yeah. People, you know inside. (laughs) You got to get out. Inside, outside. (laughs) Side. Oh my gosh, crying. Uh. <laughs> well, we actually have an episode coming up on December 3rd. So make sure you listen to that one. And it's about leaving without having a plan B. And mm. it's a lot about that. It's like jumping ship sometimes when you don't have a plan yeah. B, but also like knowing when it's like so bad. Obviously, this is extreme. Mm-hmm. You know, but it happens, I think, a lot more than people, as you said, like people talk about or realize because they feel embarrassed that they left a job so quickly sometimes, you know. But really, the people who should be embarrassed are the people who are treating people like that. And yeah, that but was they're such not. A mom, that was like such mom advice. It's <laughs> right? like when you're being bullied and they're like, just ignore it. And you're like, that is the worst advice you could give a middle school girl. <laughs> you know? I cannot and I will not. Yeah, I cannot <laughs> ignore anything. <sighs> anyway, okay. My tough question for me is when is um, the last time you did something that's like super out of your comfort zone? All the time. Like going to the summit where I, you know, I was speaking and I'm in the green room or, you know, the speaker's room and there's a bunch of people in there that maybe I don't know and I want to know. And so I have to get out of my comfort zone just to like shake their hand and introduce myself. You know, the person who you've seen before, but if they don't remember you, Mm. (laughs) that feels like you're out of your comfort zone. Anytime I'm doing a lot of like press related. So I just did something uh, a couple weeks ago where I was on live TV for this thing for CNN. And the whole segment is like literally a few minutes long. So you're only on air for like maybe 30 seconds or less. But I mean, that gets me all worked up and I can feel myself sweating. I could, <laughs> I could literally feel my lip quivering. And if you watch the video back of like the live video, you can see I keep like biting my lip, but you can't see it in the video, but I could feel it. So I just assumed <laughs> I looked like a person who was just like literally shaking on live air. I could tell I was so out of my comfort zone because literally when I, I left there, I backed up into a pole and the guy was like, uh, and I was like, I, he's like, oh my gosh, don't worry about it. I was like, I'm not worried about the pole. I'm worried about my car. I'm worried about my mental state. No, I was just I didn't see it, but I was, I was, I was like really amped up a little bit because your mm-hmm. adrenaline is like pumping when you're in those situations. And your body will just kind of betray you in moments I know. like that. I read or heard advice somewhere where you're supposed to tell your body, no, I'm excited. I'm not I, nervous. I've said that before. Did we yeah. talk about yes. that here? Yeah. But I'm like, my, I don't think that would work for me. My body would be like, no, we're nervous. <laughs> you're, you're extremely nervous. Um, no, I did. I wrote a piece on this once and I did research on it because I get like, I get very nervous. And so apparently your brain can't really tell the difference between being nervous and excited. So you, the idea is like you could trick your mm-hmm. brain if you just like say, I'm not nervous. I'm really excited. I'm really excited because it's kind of like your thoughts become your emotions. But I agree with you. <laughs> that might take... I don't know. I might need to be hypnotized in order to make that happen and like actually believe it. Yeah. When you're nervous, you're just really nervous. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) 
Anyway. All right. So thank you for listening to this episode of The Females. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review. We have 115 reviews on there and we would love to see more. And we really love your guys' comments positive, negative, all of it's super helpful for us. We'll be back next Tuesday with Annabelle Chang. She is a VP at Alaska Airlines and we'll be talking about first 100 days of a job, you know, asking questions and why that's great for your career, elevator pitches, all that good stuff. Until then, you can follow us on at the females podcast on Instagram, share this episode with your work wives and listen to this sneak peek of next week's episode. I had, you know, created a visualization of my future and I had put in, you know, we talk about the power of intention and I, I really believe in that because in my journal, especially as a, as a younger adult um, or someone going through a lot of transition, I, I would write like, what do I want to be? Who do I want to be? What do I want to have accomplished? And what's so bizarre is that those things have started to come true. Um, and uh, so to me that, you know, once you put that idea in your head, uh, it is so much easier to make it happen.